Good morning, New Vision family. For those who I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. Um, let me start off today by just saying this has been a heavy, heavy week for our New Vision family. I visited a sweet couple, the Thomases, as um, Ronnie's wife, Martha Jane, is on the vent and dealing with COVID complications. And we lost a very, really dear and sweet sister to the New Vision family, Leslie Nilius, this week as well. And so we can be praying and joining together, praying for the Nilius family. And we also lost a beloved brother, uh, Bubba Warren, this week as well. And so it has been a heavy, heavy week. And so I want to start today. We're going to pray together. But I was reading Melissa Warren's post. She's the wife of Bubba who went home to be with Jesus. And her post was encouraging to me. And I think it will be encouraging to you because I know for many of us, this has been a heavy season. And so maybe, just maybe, the words of Melissa can encourage you. She wrote this. My sweet Bubba was met by Jesus this afternoon and is whole and healed in heaven. He's not an angel. He was created above that, created in God's image. He's not just resting in peace. He's perfected in glory. Your prayers didn't fail. Our God didn't fail. Bubba didn't fail. This world is broken, and it is not supposed to be this way. I know this leaves a huge hole in the heart of so many, but please, I beg you, don't run away. Run to the arms of Jesus. Run to be with those who love you. If it's been a while, if it's for the first time, if you've been slumped in there with us for the last three weeks, run to him. It's okay to not be okay. It's gut-wrenching. But God is near into the brokenhearted, but the heart's still broken nonetheless. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're working and you're moving. And thank you that even though sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, you're still trustworthy. Lord, so for all of my friends that are in this place that are watching online, Lord, will you remind them that you are near? Will you remind us that you have not forgotten about us? Will you remind us that you're carrying us through? Will you remind us that you truly are enough, even in the moments where it feels as if you are not? And so, Jesus, I just pray that we feel your presence more near and close than we have. And, Lord, will you continue to move and do only what you can do? Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Today, we are going to talk about the audacity of grace. See, in case you didn't know this, grace is pretty audacious. And that's a beautiful thing, but also it's a very hard pill to swallow. And Jesus is going to reveal this and going to tell a parable that helps us see grace in the correct light. And this is what I believe. I believe that if we can understand grace a little bit better, then we will be able better to pour it out to others. I was reading this week in a very timely email and post by one of my favorite authors and counselor, Paul David Tripp. 
He writes about this this audacity of grace. In his post that came out this week, it says, what in the world is grace? And I think this is a great place for us to see this audacious thing called grace. And grace has a name, and his name is Jesus. So I want to read this to you, and I want you to listen closely to these words as Paul David Tripp tries to navigate what in the world is grace. He says this, there is no one, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter how young, no matter how old, there is no one, no matter their successes, no matter their failures, no matter how very rich, no matter how tragically poor. There is no one, no matter how great their strength, no matter how profound their weakness, no matter if lost and forgotten. There is no one, no matter how religious, no matter how profane, no matter if comfortable, no matter if living with pain, no matter if all alone, no matter if loved by many. There is no one, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, who isn't in personal, constant, desperate, immediate need for divine Grace. Amen. No one is accepted. No one is omitted. Everyone is alike. All live the same drama. All have but one hope. Grace. Grace is a thunderous, expansive, powerful, and life-altering word. Other than God, there is no more important word than the human mind could consider and the mouth could speak. Grace is the ultimate spiritual game changer. It is the one thing that has the power to change you and everything about you. There simply is nothing comparable to God's grace. Grace explodes into your life in a moment, but will occupy you for all of eternity. You could dig into grace every day of your life and not reach the bottom of its power and glory. Grace is the bottomless, treasure-laden mine of divine help. In his famous hymn, John Newton really did choose the best word ever to describe God's grace. Amazing. Grace is why God sent his son into this world. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. To transform us from what we are, sinners separated by him and from him, into what we are becoming, Christ-like and with him forever. Because you are God's child, grace is something you'll never deserve but can always expect. Grace is a tool that God uses to transform you, but it also defines the nature of his relationship to you. Grace will devastate you while giving you peace of heart and rest of soul you have never experienced before. Grace will require you to confess your unworthiness, but will never, ever make you feel alone and unloved. Grace will confront you with the reality that you are way less than you thought, You are while it comforts you with the promise that you can be way more than you ever imagined. Grace will call you to examine yourself with honesty and humility, but free you from being paralyzed by fearful introspection. Grace will ask you to admit your catalog of weaknesses while at the same time empowering you to newfound strength. Grace will keep reminding you of what you are not, so you will receive God's welcome to what you can now be. Grace will make you sadder than you have ever been in your life and give you cause for joy and celebration that nothing or no one can take away. Grace will blow up your little kingdom of one while it introduces you to a much better, more glorious king. Grace will work to expose your blindness while it gives you eyes to see. Grace will drive you to the end of yourself while it holds before you the promise of fresh starts and new beginnings. Grace is a person. 
and his name is Jesus. Friends, here's the thing we have to understand about grace. It is not fair. And I think for some of us, that is so engaging and so exciting. But at the same time, it could be the most frustrating thing about grace because we look around this world and we see that's not fair and that's not fair. They should get what they deserve. And here's something, a truth that we're going to have to walk in today is the fair left town last week, everybody. And I'm telling you this, you are glad that it did. Because I want you to think about something, and we're going to explore this a little more. Do you really want grace to be fair? Because if you think about that, if you think about kind of the rippling effects of grace is fair, can I just tell you something? None of us would get to drink of it. But because the king is who the king is, and the king does what the king wants to do and desires to do, he has offered grace to everybody. For those who we count worthy of it and those we count as not worthy of it, because we all sit in the same seat, we are all in need of grace. And so Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples after he has just had a conversation with this rich young ruler. And his disciples are asking him these questions of, hey, we have given up everything for you. What do we get? It doesn't seem fair that others might get the same thing we get if we have given everything to you. Grace does not seem fair, and it is not. But I believe this. I believe the better we understand it, the better we can pour it out and steward it. And so as we look at Jesus as he tells this parable, as he gives this commonplace story to reveal something that is much bigger and extraordinary... He has to start, we have to start with some background of why he is telling this parable, and it's found in Matthew chapter 19. So go ahead, turn to Matthew chapter 19. If you don't know where Matthew is, it's okay. It's the first book in the New Testament. So go ahead and start there. And we're going to be in verse number 19. So if you have your Bible or if you're doing it on your phone or if you're online and you're using your desktop, Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to begin in verse 23 to give us some background as to why Jesus would tell the parable he's going to tell about the laborers in Matthew 20. It says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He has just had this encounter with the rich young ruler, and so he is speaking to that. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter answered him. Y'all, whenever y'all see Peter talking, be prepared, okay? It's either going to be something wonderful or something absolutely not wonderful at all. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us. Now, I wasn't there, y'all. I wasn't listening to this conversation, but it feels like there is a little bit of stank stank on that, on that phrase. And you might be going, Nick, what's stank stank? I can explain that to you later. A little stanky attitude. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. Whenever you are telling the king of kings what you have done on his behalf, it's not a great posture to start with. When you go, Jesus, do you not know 
Because you, the response that Jesus can give you, like, hey, Nick, do you know the tomb is empty? And I did that. What you do? It kind of ends the conversation quickly, doesn't it? But Peter being Peter, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much as will inherit in eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. You're not just making sacrifices, you're making investments. By you surrendering, by you walking well in this, I know it feels like sacrifice, but what you are really doing is you are making investments in the kingdom of God. And then he says something that just bothers me. He says, the first will be last and the last will be first. What I love about Jesus is when he says things, he's walked them out or is about to walk them out. He's not a king that says, hey, you go do this, but is unwilling to do it himself. See, Jesus was first. And you might go, Nick, where are you getting that from? I'm glad you asked. John chapter one. Beginning in verse one, it says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word is referring to the king Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, Jesus was first, but what did the king do? He gave up his position as first and became last so that those who were last could become first. John 19, verse 28 shows this last posture of Jesus. Later, Knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received this drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He took the position of last so that we could be first. Now, let's look at this story he tells coming out of that. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. This landowner is reflective of God, is reflective of the king. He goes on to say this, verse 2. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. A denarius was a normal payment for the day. We also see when he goes out early, he encounters these first laborers. Verse number three. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. You, not doing nothing, get to work. And it gets later in the day, and he continues to go out and invite these laborers to go and be a part of the work. And he says, hey, I will pay you what is fair. I will give you the wages. I will give you a wage that you technically do not deserve. Verse number six. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? 
Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So this is near closing time, and these laborers go and they work. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Could you imagine this? Like, let's just, let's just go here, y'all, because sometimes we read scripture and be like, ooh. But let's just get in this story. I want you to imagine that you were the early person. You out there working the field. You're like, ooh, working. I don't know what, if you sing like that, but there we go. You're working and you have agreed to the terms. You go, okay, I'm here early. I agree to the terms. You're working. And then the landowner comes and says, hey, it's three hours later. You go work too. I'm going to pay you the same amount. And you kind of look over your shoulder like, what did he just say? I know he didn't just say he paid him the same amount. We're just going to keep working. Noon comes around, more laborers. And you, the initial worker, you working. Then three comes around. Then about an hour before closing time and someone else comes to work. This sounds like a horrible way to run a business. This feels like a way, if you want your employees to fight, you handle it this way. But here is what Jesus is establishing. He is revealing this truth. God's grace is never fair. And you look at that, and for some of us, it bothers us. For some of us, you're like, that, uh-uh, I'm, I'm all about justice and doing things right. There's so many people that I see are getting away with all kinds of things. We should do something. That is not fair. Listen, grace is going to bother you because God's grace isn't fair. And you might be sitting there right now or watching the line. You might be going, man, I don't struggle with this. All the welcome to the king's table. Let's just be real for a moment. Let's say today we go to Target. You know, they have some good fall things. You stop by the dollar section. I'm there shopping. I have a cart full of things. You have three things. You get in line and you're like eight people deep. And you're like, okay, I wish they would open another register. Come on, Target. I got to go. And let's say I roll up behind you with a cart full of stuff. And you look at my cart because you nosy that way. Some of y'all are like, how you know? I know. But yet, I'm behind you, and you're waiting with a couple of items, and there I am with my cart full of things, and then this magical, wonderful thing happens. Another lane opens. And that employee looks at me and goes, hey, sir, come on and get in line while you are there with your three items. And I know most of you are going, bless the king. Isn't he good? Look at how Nick was blessed going first in line after I've been waiting here for 28 minutes because I've been counting. Bless him. No, for most of us, you got an attitude. Now, for some of you bold people here, you say something. But for a lot of us, what we do is we just give them the stanky look like, oh, mm-mm-mm, mm-mm-mm, right? And even in the parking lot, in your car, you're like, Lord, I shouldn't, but I'll, okay, I won't. Why? Because you don't like the fact that it was not what? Fair. The 
don't like that it was fair. Think about you in traffic. Well, yeah, we just gonna go there. You know, you see the merging lane sign, you see it, you are obeying the rules, but there's always that person, right? Like the rules don't apply to me. And you're gonna punish them. You're gonna show them what's up. Not today, devil, you ain't getting in front of me. You are not going to take away 12 and a half seconds from my commute time. Not today. And then you do this thing where you pretend you don't see them, so you're looking straight ahead on purpose, but you see them. Mm-hmm. Hit my car. You going to hit my car. Why? What is wrong with you? It's not fair. It is not fair. Here's the truth, everybody. I think those situations, and this is hard for me to say to you because this is true of myself, I think in those situations, it reveals who we really are. Ooh. Like, I think it's great. It is great for us to post verses about grace. Oh, the Lord's grace. It's great. But I would dare say it might be better to live it. Because that is what we see from our king. And here's the invitation from the king. It's to go and do likewise. That's the invitation. And no, it is not fair. But we don't really want it to be fair. Because if it was, then we couldn't drink of it. Verse number nine. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. You know they were happy. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Could you imagine that? People were complaining and grumbling. Shocker. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. Isn't it amazing how good we get at facts when we have a case against somebody else? But when it comes to us, we're like, oh, why do you remember so many details? Listen. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. The worst thing about God's grace is that it is not fair. For some of us, we look around and go, that's not fair, that's not fair. Look at the wreck they made of their lives, and you're telling me that God is still going to offer them grace. Look at me. I have checked all the boxes and done all the right things. Can I just tell you that your checklist still does not earn you grace? Because you cannot earn something that is free. You can only receive something that is free. And so, yes, it is a hard pill to swallow that grace is offered to all, but when we look at it from a right perspective, we see we are thankful for that because grace was offered to us. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Mm. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Wasn't grace offered to you as well? And it was not fair, and it is not fair for them, but it's also not fair 
for you. The best thing about God's grace is that it is not fair. Here's something we got to understand. God doesn't owe you anything. And that's hard for us to swallow because we have a list of what he, he should do for us based on our behavior. But here's the thing. He doesn't give you what you deserve based on your behavior. So why would he reward you based on your behavior? See, he offers mercy and grace. And that doesn't mean that you go and live however you want. No, what that means is we live in response to the grace that has been given. And when we do that, we live differently. But God is the one who is offering grace. And we don't want the king to be fair with us. Matthew chapter 20, verse 15 says this. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? This is the landowner speaking. Or are you envious because I am generous? Mm. So the last will be first and the first will be last. See, Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 9, verse 14, when he says this. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. It is not fair. Life is not fair. But the grace of the king is good. It's not fair. But the king is good. You might be going, Nick, I don't like this today. I'm with you. I didn't like this message either. But it's one I needed to hear. Because I need to fix my eyes on the fact that grace has been offered to me, someone very unworthy of it, but yet it was offered anyways. So how can we remember this well? How can we walk this out well? How can we walk differently in this grace not being fair, but yet celebrate that instead of rebel against that? So what can we do to walk in this. And I have four practical steps we can take together. The first one is this. Number one, how we can walk this out. Don't compare. It will lead to despair. Don't compare. It will lead to despair. What does that mean? Stop fixing your eyes on everybody else. Fix your eyes on the king. Why? Because it's easily to be distracted when you're looking at everybody else instead of being thankful for what the king has given to you. Fix your eyes on the king, not on others. Do not compare because it will lead to despair. Never once in my life when I've compared myself to other things other than remembering who I am in the kingdom of God, it doesn't lead to a good place. Either it leads me to a prideful place or a place of shame. It never leads me to where I want it to lead me. Number two, from the great theologian Ice Cube, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Y'all can mark it down. Quoted Ice Cube in service. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Hey, guys, pride is an ugly thing. Pride is an ugly thing. Let me say it again. Pride is an ugly thing. Check yourself. Because pride does not lead any place good. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Number three, 
have an attitude of gratitude, not hateitude. You might be going, I don't think hateitude's a word. It's not, I made it up this week. What do I mean by that? Be thankful. When you have a grateful posture and you understand the weight of the grace that has been offered to you, it is hard to hate on others because you understand in a very authentic way what you have been saved from and who you have been saved for. So have an attitude of gratitude, not hateitude. Number four, last one. Grow in compassion. Grow in compassion. Say it one more time. Grow in compassion. The only way to grow in compassion, everybody, wait for it, is to practice it. What does compassion look like? Compassion looks like this. It goes, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you and encourage you. I'm not going to encourage behavior, but I'm going to encourage you that there is a king that loves you in spite of yourself. When I see someone in need, I'm not going to look at all the circumstances that got them there. I'm going to just meet them where they are. I am going to offer compassion to those around me. Why? Because that was the posture of our king. Listen, you have not been called to be like everybody else. You have been saved to stand out and be like your king. So be different. Be different. So for you, as we sit at the end of this message and we go, all right, Lord, I'm open and I'm willing to take a step. Maybe for some of you, the step you need to take is to accept the grace that has been offered to you through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's just going, yes. You can do it right here, right now. I say yes to the perfect life lived to the perfect sacrifice surrendered on the cross, paying a debt I was unable to pay. I say yes to the fact that Jesus got up three days later overcoming sin and death, and through him and him alone, I can overcome sin and death. I say yes that through what he has done on the cross and through my acceptance of that grace, he gives me his robe of righteousness and his signet ring of the family so that I know I am forever his and forever welcome at his table. I say yes to the fact that my identity is not rooted in my behaviors or what I used to do, but my identity is rooted at whose table I sit at, and that's the king's table. Maybe you need to accept that grace. Maybe for you, you need to offer some grace. Uh-oh. Maybe you know it too. And you have this argument like, but if I offer grace, then... How is justice going to reign? Can I tell you something? God is much better at sitting on his throne than you are. I don't know what your next step is, but I will encourage you to take it. And maybe for some of us, we just need to remember well the grace that has been offered to us so that we can walk in that grace, pour out that grace, and reflect the king of grace and love and mercy. If you would, bow your heads. Jesus, I pray for my friends in this place. I pray for my friends who are watching online. 
I pray, Lord, that you will move. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in this place, in this season, through the computer screen. I pray that you will move. I pray that you will reveal to your people what step they need to take. Maybe for the first time it's saying yes to you. Maybe it's offering grace. Maybe they just need to pray. I don't know, but you do. So Holy Spirit, we trust you to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, so that we can walk in your invitation that you're giving to each and every one of us. King Jesus, we love you. King Jesus, we thank you. And King Jesus, thank you so much that grace isn't fair, but it's beautiful all the same. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen.